Welcome into 2022 Fantastics Fantasy Awards. That's right, it is our season two finale of the Fantastics Insider Football Podcast. James Adams, along with myself, Dan Claskins, back here to hand out some hardware, reflect back on the season that was in 2022, and put the exclamation point on another great season of the podcast. Really appreciate all of you listening in. We'll be uh, taking a little bit of time off. We'll probably come back on here sometime this spring to start talking free agencies in the draft. So be sure to subscribe wherever you listen. That way, when we do put out our next episode, you'll be alerted and notified. And of course, insiderfootball.com, the home of the podcast. You're getting ready for your baseball leagues or gearing up for what lies ahead there. Be sure to also check out our sister site at insiderbaseball.com and the draft advisor. It's going to help you win there too. James, uh, here we are, man. Another fantasy season in the books, and it's always, you know, part of me as like a content producer, and we get on these grinds of doing our podcasts and our shows. It's there's part of it's like, ah, oh, just get through this last week, man. Have a little bit of downtime. And then there's the other part of the the reason we got into this because we love it so much. It's like, oh my gosh, we're running out of time. We're going to be able to do this. So it's, it's a mixture of emotions here as we talk as the season finishes. You're right. I'm happy that. Um, you know, we've reached the goal, which is finishing the fantasy football season as both a content producer and a, a fantasy player. And I'm on the same side of the, uh, I'm on that other side of the coin with you too. I thought about actually doing a 2023 best ball and I thought, all right, give it a minute, dude. Let it get to February 1st. We'll see though. No doubt about it. Let's get through here. Uh, of course, you don't have to let your fantasy end and all your fun end just because the fantasy football season's come to an end. That's right. You don't have to stop winning and having fun by doing it. Head over to Thrive Fantasy. Check out all of their awesome fantasy prop contests and the prop shop to get in on the action for the NFL playoffs, NBA, golf, hockey, and much more. Sign up. Use the promo code FANTISTICS. You can receive a 100% instant deposit bonus match there and uh, lots of fun ahead and all of that. James, I did want to say... You'd end up eking me out, dude. Uh, we went neck and neck picking Thrive and the weekly podcast previews all season. And we were pretty much, I, I had the lead most of the year. You took it back, then I took it back right at the end. And it wasn't a glorious victory for you because you basically got the only one of the props of both of us <laughs> right last week. I, I, we both had ice picks in play. Uh, we both ended up with just three picks on the slate and, and we went one for five. But you are the winner, my friend. I didn't uh, think I won because I didn't cash, but cool. <laughs> oh, I just didn't hit a thing. So uh, congratulations. We went back and forth. Thrive was a lot of fun. Hopefully our mm -hmm. listeners go there as well. But before we get into the handing out the hardware today, because we're going to give out uh, about six or seven different fantasy awards here. And I definitely want to go through position by position and just look at the top fantasy finishers and just a real high level conversations there. But what about some lessons learned in fantasy football in 2022, James? Uh, what what things do you think uh, are important to note here? Well, I, I mean, while I didn't have success when it came to actually hoisting a trophy, I had exceptional success when it came to making playoffs. And I guess that's all I can really control. Um, certainly had some close outcomes that didn't go my way. But I felt like I had a really good season and a chance to have a great season because I went away from drafting heavy running back early, and I, I know that this has been a trend in the industry for a while, so it's not as if I'm breaking ground, uh, you know, this isn't E equals MC squared or anything, um, 
But the reality is, last year, in 2021, I had some drafts where it was round three or round four, and I already felt like I had my RB1 and two spots locked up. And in times, even a flex play, and I'd be drafting a fourth running back because I thought they were the best player available. And the reality is, they weren't, and they weren't the best player for my team. This year, I went with a much more, and I'm talking more about these high-stakes leagues, uh, not even high-stakes necessarily, but the, the, you know, the, the main event types leagues, and a lot of them are full-point PPR. Man, I really attacked receiver early. Um, one of my best teams was four straight receivers before I went to uh, the running back position. Some of my other best teams were either running back in the first or second round, but not another one until round five, six, seven, you know, the second one being one of those picks, and really loading up on pass catchers. It's a less volatile position in terms of injury. Sure, we saw some guys get hurt. Uh, Even two of the top three, Cooper Cup missed uh, the end of the year, Jamar Chase part of the year, but he did come back, and Cooper Cup could have come back had the season been a little bit longer and the Rams had something to play for. These injuries don't seem to be as devastating at that position too, so more stability at receiver, and frankly, not even in the health department, but more stability when you're talking about a week-to-week floor in PPR leagues. I mean, even in a bad week for for my my savior, Amon Ross St. Brown, it was still five catches for 50 yards. That's 10 points. Nick Chubb has to get 100 yards, not score a touchdown, not uh, catch a pass, which is two things he could do uh, to get 10 points. Like I just felt like it, it was a lot more stable. And then, of course, we've talked quarterback a little bit. The other lesson that I think I'll carry forward is having a player like Joe Burrow. And it was him for me because he was kind of falling off on draft day. When I say that, I mean he was quarterback six sometimes, and he was a little bit of a value. But having one of those stable quarterbacks, and it's really the same – philosophy of how the receiving game the re, you know receivers have gained prominence because there's more passing yards well that's the same you know it's a correlate and correlation with the quarterbacks and so I will certainly be willing to invest early on quarterback I, I would say this if there's a high-end quarterback available and it's between him and a running back too I will be going quarterback yeah uh definitely good things to say I will say yeah I mean we're not gonna start reaching for the number one quarterback necessarily in round two or anything but the idea of just – and you can. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But I haven't the, decided where is early, well, where's too early yet. The point is is yeah. getting an upper-level quarterback. I think we all would agree there's at least four I could think of I'd be fine with. Uh, you know, you play your board. And that's – dude, I mean, I've been doing yeah. that for a while now, especially in these industry leagues when we get in with fellow uh, other folks that are, you know, host on the SiriusXM channel with us or work for other sites because everybody just waits and waits and waits and waits. And and if nobody at all is taking a quarterback, you can keep waiting too. Uh, yep. You know, obviously if you want the number one quarterback on your board and you might have to be the first guy to pick it, but here's the thing. Uh, we all agree elite level with the quarterback play. I, I've been saying it for years. Yeah. It's nice and easy to say, well, I'll just uh, wait on quarterback and stream them. But then you have to still pick the right player in the lineup. It's not just the point differential between those players and the top players. It's getting the right one of your crappy backups in at the right time. Is it a Trevor Lawrence week or a Justin Fields week? Exactly. And those it's are, always a Patrick the, Mahomes week. Those are high-end examples, right? Uh, so anyway, let's move along to some a couple lessons I learned. I think one of the biggest lessons all fantasy leagues, hometown leagues have learned is to make sure you have rules, written rules in place to the best of your ability. I think even those that did have rules in after what happened in week 17 with fantasy championships, adding more clarity, black and white. I mean, it is what it is. I've done this stuff for literally, I mean, I, I ran my first fantasy league in 1990. Uh, so to say that 
I've done it a while is one thing, but I've learned from the very beginning, especially in leagues where commissioners are also participants, you have to get it in black and white. And in cases where the black and white don't cover it, then come up with what you can agree upon. Friendships are always more important than fantasy. Split the dang on money. If it's about a few dollars, I mean, if it's really an argument, I mean, it's one thing if you're talking about high stakes things and you have missed out on thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars because of this controversial thing. But if it's, you know, we're talking about a hundred dollar difference or whatever it is between this and that, I mean, I don't know, James. I, I think that just come to an agreeable solution and move on. Yeah, it's not fair. Guess what? A lot of stuff in life isn't fair. Um, not everything has to be fair, but better rules. And then really from the fantasy play, you hit on some things I think I totally agree with. But I would add to it from my perspective is, A, I want to be able to have uh, diversification. This year, I got a little too excited about a couple players. One of them, Javante Williams, where I, in a lot of leagues in those early rounds, these were guys that teams were anchored on. Um, and just, you know, the more leagues you play in, the more you should diversify. It's good to, I've always said, it's better to diversify in the early rounds and then lock into those mid-round or late-round dudes you love because the value is a lot less. The other thing I'd say, James, is a lesson learned is stash in players with hope, right? I, I did it mostly in best balls, but or in really deep leagues with rosters. But as we've seen, taking draft picks and putting them out there for guys you know are going to miss significant time, maybe a six games like DeAndre Hopkins or, or Chris Godwin, that, those weren't too bad because we had a clearly defined time, and it wasn't that long. But Deshaun Watson, right? Odell Beckham Jr. How about all those best ball leagues with Will freaking Fuller? <laughs> Uh, the guy that, that won laughable. our Do Good Fantasy Serious XM Listener League, he did it because the 33rd quarterback taken off the board was the guy starting in week one, Geno Smith, and around before him, Deshaun Watson, who didn't play to week 11 or 12, was taken. Wasting draft capital on players that have no definitive timeline, and in some cases we know it's an extended timeline, is stupid. I won't do it anymore, or definitely not do a lot of it. So I hear you. I feel like I did a better job of that this year because I've been in that boat too. Where can't wait till so and so gets back. Yeah, they might not be so and so when they get back. Yeah. So it all is circumstantial. Certainly, I, I didn't even do it in in regular, just season long leagues with typical drafts. But you get in a league with you know like Scott Fishbowl or you know heck even our KFFC teams, you can make cuts, right? I mean, it's a twenty man thing. But uh, best ball, you can't really make changes. So that's one place I'll do a little less of it. Let's get I, in. Oh, I, by the way, I just to piggyback that really quick, I drafted Deshaun Watson and Scott Fishbowl. It's a super flex. Held on him through the whole time. I never even played him. I played Brock Purdy instead. So, yeah. So there you go. Talk. I mean, sitting on him, and then he wasn't even I, – I couldn't even use him once it came around. Exactly. So there's more lessons learned. We'll have time to reflect on them, but there's a few to get you thinking. Let's move along to some top fantasy finishers. One of the things we always like to do as we wrap up a season is look at the players that started the scoring. And we'll do a lot more analysis on positional previews if, during our January uh, Sirius XM fantasy shows. So we'll, at a high level here, just look at the top. I'm going to go through the top 10 finishers and then James just you know, we'll offer up just some quick observations, not in depth on each player for sure. But to your point on the quarterbacks, the top five quarterbacks on the board, Mahomes, Allen, Hurts, Burrow, 
fields. And in the case of all those guys, really, maybe with the exception of fields, I feel like, I mean, even Hurts, it was a great season, a superb season, better than we even anticipated. But dude, I mean, in August, he was still QB five or six off the board in every draft Mm -hmm. I was in. It wasn't like it was that big of a reach for him to finish as QB three. And frankly, he would have finished ahead of that had he not missed a couple games. But it's really who made out the back half of that top 10 that I think is worth talking about here, James. Geno Smith, QB six, Trevor Lawrence, seven, Cousins, eight. Daniel Jones, 9, Jared Goff, 10, Tom Brady and Justin Herbert, 11 and 12, wrapping up your QB1s. And again, this is just through weeks 1 through 17, which is what most fantasy seasons are. What do you think is the most interesting part or even biggest shock or surprise of what you see there in that back half? Oh, I don't know what's – did Justin Herbert's 12 and he's not higher up given the fact that he was hurt but never really missed time. Of course, he had injury all around him in major ways. So maybe the fact that Justin Herbert finishes all the way at 12. uh, Maybe it's the fact that Jared Goff and Daniel Jones make up 9 and 10, two players that I don't think anyone had inside their top 15, maybe not even inside their top 20. Uh, I like Jones because he had a little upside with his legs and – Boy, he had no receiving help either. But I, I, I think the surprising part is, and I'm leaving out Geno Smith, who's in the back half of that top ten. Like he's just surprising it overall. But I think when when I put all those names together and I ramble about what's surprising, what it tells me is it's kind of maybe it's confirmation bias on my own end. It tells me load up on one of those early guys. But then once you get to that second half of QB one, man, they're all the same. And it also tells me that I'm going to be weary of guys that are run-first quarterbacks. I mean, I know it doesn't happen every year, but we see Lamar hurt again. We see Kyler Murray hurt, and it's going yeah, to but miss. But you got Allen and Hurts and Fields, three of the top five. So. Uh, but but I will tell you this. Hurts was hurt when it mattered the most. And even Mahomes and Burrow. I mean, we don't consider them running quarterbacks, but they're extremely mobile. And Justin Fields really only gave you about four good weeks yeah. He's a very lopsided player. Well, maybe they actually get him some weapons next year. We'll see. And it's not his and, fault. I and, would say and I we'll, we'll have a lot of time. I would say my final take before we move on to a different position here uh, is when you talk about super flex strategies, right? I mean, it's easy for us to say in QB1 leagues, hey, yeah, we're going to get one of these top five guys. Those guys even go up higher in super flex leagues. But then it's like, all right, get us. It's almost like you're talking about your uh, running back hero strategy and a, a regular just one QB league, it's almost like a QB hero and a super flex is what this might suggest. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I've been thinking that myself. So time to tell on that. Let's move over to running backs here. Again, these are just first glances, not meant to be deep dives. We'll have plenty of time to start looking at that. And James, we're going to use half point PPR scoring. I feel for these next three positions, just so we're all clear here. Um, the top 10 finishers, well, we'll just say do the top 12. These were your RB1s in fantasy football. Austin Eckler, nobody was surprised at number one. And seeing McCaffrey and Henry also there in the top five at three and four, you know, assuming these guys stay healthy. None of us shocked by that. Eckler, McCaffrey, Henry. I mean, if you ask people to rank their top three running backs coming into the season, uh, chances are those guys would have been on a lot of lists. Josh Jacobs at RB2, Saquon Barkley at RB5, both surprises. Barkley's case that he came back so well. And in Jacobs' case, especially after they didn't even renew him, we didn't know what type of role we'd have in this Raiders offense, James. And I think that led a lot of fantasy managers to avoiding him. We saw his ADP drop by a full round 
from August 1st to August 31st in NFFC ADP. Uh, so I think part of it is, is like, you know, it's hard to say what's going to have to happen, but we can't just buy into the preseason buzz on guys either all the time. No, in both fashions, right? Obviously in the negative fashion, as you talk about Josh Jacobs, but sometimes we all get caught up on, uh, the hype of certain players and, uh, you know, that's a little bit overblown as well. Yeah. I mean, I look at these running backs and the first thing I think of, and it's something we always talk about with running back is opportunity. I mean, you want to be on a good team that scores points if you're a running back because touchdowns is a difference maker, but just getting the volume and part of it is staying healthy, right? You can only get volume if you're a healthy player, but then also being given that volume. And I didn't know what the heck to think of Josh Jacobs. I had him on a bunch of teams and mostly it was because I was fortunate enough to just go, hey, I need an RB2, or in some case an RB1, one case anyway. I need a running back here, and I see a path to you know, 20 touches a game. If I knew it was happening, he would have been higher up on everyone's board, but seeing that path to those touches, it, it, in particular at running back, can be so 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 valuable. Yeah, I definitely think that is true in form. Uh, wrapping up the rest of your RB1s, RB6, Nick Chubb. Uh, outside shot at the rushing title he had at the end of the season, but didn't quite get there. Uh, it was a little back and forth there. Cleveland, it was just an odd year, the way the team switched quarterbacks and everything. But Chubb remains a stud. 7 through 12, though, Tony Pollard, RB7, Dalvin Cook, and Aaron Jones at 8 and 9. Both of those guys as top 10 guys. Not a surprise there. And Cook did sort of get drafted in that spot. I know we're used to seeing him a little higher, but... He pretty much delivered on where we projected him. Yeah. Pollard, a, a definite surprise, especially considering Ezekiel Elliott was also productive as a top 20 running back. But Pollard with those big weeks in the PPR. But James, RB10, a guy that sort of like Jacobs, none of us wanted to draft it. I got to admit, even in the best balls where I ended up with Miles Sanders, I wasn't really wanting Miles Sanders. It just got to be the point of the drafts like, all right, I'll take Miles Sanders. And here he was, as part of this awesome Philly rushing attack and finishing as RB10. Ramondre Stevenson, RB11, emerging as the guy in New England, I think. And Jamal Williams, he didn't get a lot. It, it fizzled out at times, but when you get 15 touchdowns, it still makes you an RB1, reminding that touchdowns and opportunities at the goal line still drives a ton of fantasy success when it comes to running backs. And when we're talking half-point PPR, much more a best ball conversation, but touchdown makers matter, and it was a best ball strategy for me. Um, you know, I was going to go again, heavy receiver early and running back. I was going to hopefully have one I could rely on. And then one, uh, you know, just fill in the blanks from a group of players and going after touchdown volume had a lot of good best ball teams because of Jamal Williams, because of those touchdowns. I couldn't bank on it necessarily. It got to a point where we could bank on it week to week where it just seemed like, oh my God, he's going to score every week. But looking after those guys with an end zone nose for the end zone, man, they're great back end best ball picks like Jamal Williams was. Yeah, totally with you on that. And uh, so, and there were other good running back performances and injuries. And like I said, we'll, we'll take deeper dives in all this, but let's go look at the wide receivers. Half point PPR, our top 12, the wide receiver ones, as we say. Justin Jefferson, a guy that, I, frankly, I mean, like many in the industry, I had him ranked as my number one receiver. I uh, wasn't quite expecting as quite as many yards as it got, but I was hoping for more touchdowns too. So either way, uh, finishes not just as the receiver here, but probably as a guy that could be argued in some formats as number one overall heading into 2023. Tyreek Hill, 
uh, Devontae Adams, AJ Brown, Stefan Diggs rounding out the top five. And James, it's interesting. Three of those five guys, new faces and new places. Maybe we were overthinking about the changing in landscape with some of them. Yeah. I mean, Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams both stayed inside my top 10 at receiver the entire time. Um, so I don't know that they got moved around. It was Tyreek Hill was the one player and he lost, he, he went from a great quarterback to a quarterback who had some great moments, but wasn't great. Tyreek Hill, maybe, I don't know if they did quarterback proof, but you can get him the ball in space and he can make things happen. So yeah, you're right about that. I mean, but I still think that those two, AJ Brown was the one guy that wasn't high in my ranking. Um, as opposed to the other two who I did still stay pretty consistent with and had a, you know, I had a decent share market on either. Yeah, uh, C.D. Lamb, wide receiver six, Jalen Waddle, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Amari Cooper, Devontae Smith, Mike Evans, Tyler Lockett there. And, you know, we're looking at different of these guys. I mean, Amon Ross, St. Brown, we didn't know, you know, what it was going to look like with everybody healthy. He had put up those big numbers as like the target funnel, but we saw that that continued. Amari Cooper, a lot of baggage around him, and he was inconsistent, James. There was weeks where he didn't have it, but he had some big games. I think he remains a guy that's viable. But it was nice to see some secondary receivers, players uh, you know, like Devontae Smith, the Eagles with two uh, top ten pl- uh, players here. But you know, Devontae Smith, Tyler Lockett, guys that we didn't even peg as the receiver ones on their team, Jalen Waddell, three of them probably inside that top 12. And just goes to show you how deep – the quality of the receiver position can be. And uh, it it is nice having those stud, those those top guys that get it done every week instead of just some weeks. And as good as this list is, James, there's really only about six or seven names on it. Now, Jamar Chase was hurt. So I fully expect if you go by points per game, he would be up in that elite as well as Cooper Cup, clearly. So my point I'm making is I want to get a true top half wide receiver one, just as much as I do a QB one, if not more. Yep. Totally agree with you completely. Um, I mean, you just look and look at these targets. Uh, the top 19 players had over a hundred targets. That volume is something you just can't replace. And obviously you can't project it wholeheartedly. I mean, nobody had uh, Tyler Lockett getting over a hundred targets. I mean, maybe you did. Usually he was just a boomer bust kind of player who just boomed all season long, but having that target volume. And so you're absolutely right, Dan, whether your anchor RB comes from the second round or the first round, it doesn't much matter if it's guy you can rely on and you get one of these players, boy, the Justin Jefferson, even the Jamar Chase pick, uh, because he did come back for playoff time, it just changes the way a lineup looks. I mean, that's a player you put in your lineup. And then usually if you're building that way, you have a player you consider a pseudo wide receiver one as your wide receiver two. And even in half point, particularly in full point, it's just such an advantage. Yeah. yeah well, you know, one of the receiver, per, per, uh, predictability, right? I mean, utilization, yeah. understanding target share, catch percentage, catch rates, all the things that we break down all preseason, certainly in our tool, the draft advisor, all that goes into us projecting players and looking at what they do and receiver because of the volatility is, is the most stable of all the positions with injury and such, uh, um, you know, especially, you know, looking at running backs, tight ends and quarterbacks and, and probably all of them a little bit more uh, likely to occur significant injury. Uh, James, I basically think here uh, the good news is, is yeah, it gets you a stud receiver, but then you can really fill out your receiving core throughout the draft with some pretty nice um, additions. So. Let's get to tight end. 
And this one's always a mess. Sure, Travis Kelsey, tight end one. I personally was thinking it would be Mark Andrews. That didn't work out. He sort of fizzled. Tight end two, TJ Hawkinson, getting traded midseason. We got George Kittle back in as tight end three, especially after Debo Samuel sat with sideline down the stretch. He came up big in the fantasy playoffs. Evan Ingram, tight end five. We talked a little bit about him as one of our deep sleepers. I mean, James, uh, he he was definitely a guy that you and I were gobbling up in the late rounds of drafts all year long in the do-goods and one of our targets. So after that, 6 through 12, Taysom Hill, Pat Fryer, Juwan, uh, Juwan Johnson, I should say, Dalton Schultz, Tyler Higby, Cole Komet, and Dallas Goddard, obviously missing five games, still finished as tight end 12. I mean, I could almost just sit here and not talk because it's just I'm speechless at how how crazy tight end is. Here's here's what I will tell you for everybody who's going to jump on the George Kittle bandwagon next year, have him as a top five tight end or whatever. Go look at his splits. Yeah, he's tight end three on the year. He has 56 catches right now. We're talking after week 17, right before week 18. He has 56 catches, 736 yards, uh, nine touchdowns. He had a couple of massive weeks. He did a typical George Kittle once again. I won't have any shares of him outside of best ball because he is non he is non uh, non factor week in week out from a fantasy perspective. He's a great NFL player; they're two different things. But from a fantasy perspective, he's going to have an overhyped value again in drafts next year because he's going to finish tight end three. But go tell me how many weeks he finished inside the top ten at tight end. It's not a good number. Yeah, it's a mess, but. Again, we'll have plenty of time all offseason to dive into those positions, and uh, we certainly will hear as we get back on in the podcast in the spring. And James, uh, we're going to end this season, end this episode by looking at the fantasy awards. We each get to hand out our version of these awards. We'll start with the biggest. We'll start with fantasy MVP, the most valuable player in fantasy, and it's a loose meaning in how we define it, but who are you giving the hardware to? I'm going to Josh Jacobs. Uh, certainly, we just talked tight end. Travis Kelsey's in the mix, and there are other players that are in the mix. But Josh Jacobs, I mean, you want to talk about value. Josh Jacobs was drafted way later than most other people that are considered for this award. He was a fifth, sixth round pick, maybe even seventh in some places, and was a locket. Don't even think about it in your lineup player. And I understand you get that from some other players, uh, you know, a few receivers and obviously Travis Kelsey and a few quarterbacks too, but none were drafted as low versus the rest fair of their, enough, fair enough. their players. We're looking at the, the MVP a little differently. You're looking at the best value draft pick, perhaps. I would argue that that would be Josh Jacobs. I'm Jacobs just, carried a few of I'm my I'm taking it beyond draft day, and I'm just taking it apart. Who's the guy I want in my lineup first if I could pick right now any week? And for me, the answer is simple. It's Justin Jefferson. Not only was he the most valuable fantasy asset to have on any team this year, regardless of his draft capital, it was the consistency. And yeah, it came up short at the end, and that's unfortunate. But that was literally one of the only weeks it did. Uh, you look at, for me, when I'm looking at the MVP award in fantasy, I'm looking at points per game. Right, how many points per game in the position? And I know we've been talking a lot of half point PPR, but looking at just the PPR league points per game and factoring in, you know, regardless of the number of games, he was a full point ahead, one point two points ahead per game than number two Tyree Kill, two full points ahead of number three on the list, three points ahead of number four Stefan Diggs, and literally 
by the time you get down to your guys like Amon Ross, St. Brown, and C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson's putting up almost a touchdown more a game. And that's how you win games, counting on those points. There's no doubt in my mind the most number one, most uh, you know, lock-in pick I would take if I could set my lineup every week who's in it, it's Justin Jefferson. Let's go for fantasy bust of the year. And I'm guessing, James, it's interesting here, uh, if you played in draft spot off determining this as much as well. So uh, I'm trying not to give just the same answer you give every time. I think you probably have the appropriate answer. I'm just going to go with Russell Wilson. Mark Andrews has a chance to be in that mix. He still was decent at times, but his, down the stretch he was bad. But boy, Russell Wilson down the stretch, Dan. Okay, if you played him in week 17, he was good because he had two rushing touchdowns. But from week 11 to week 16, he had one week above 11 points. Oh, but you probably weren't, it probably weren't playing in week 11 through 16 for anything that mattered if you had Russell Wilson on your team because he only cracked 20 points once before we got to that point uh, in the season. And that was in week four against yeah. uh, Vegas. And you know what else you could say about him, where maybe he is the runaway winner here, is when you factor in the other ripple effect ahead to other fantasy players. Yeah. Cortland Sutton, Jerry, Judy, and others that we were counting on. So. Mm-hmm. A bust. Uh, he's a bigger NFL bust than fantasy bust, I think. Because, and the only reason I say that is because uh, most fantasy managers didn't give up three first round picks to acquire him. <laughs> good lord, boy! I mean, look how good Seattle looks, man. Uh, Pete Carroll, all of a sudden, boy, he he just became like a great coach this year, didn't he? Oh man, I think the runaway fantasy bust of the year, Jonathan Taylor, and yeah, he was a little hurt. And missed some games, especially at the end. But even when he was healthy, James, it just wasn't himself. This team, and it, I mean, they need to get a quarterback. This is ridiculous. I mean, how many times can you keep a revolving door? I, I mean, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. The Colts are the place quarterbacks go instead of doing what they should have and retiring. It's purgatory. It's the step before you... Uh cross into the uh, afterlife and the thing is as bad as it was and i usually wouldn't put a fantasy bust with a guy that missed time but you know in the case of jonathan taylor the number one overall pick in nearly every fantasy league in america he only broke 20 fantasy points twice james twice he had five games where he didn't even reach double digits uh that is a bust to me. Let's get into some more fun things to talk about. And our comeback player of the year, and I'll go first here with Barkley. Uh, I considered many, and you've got a couple on your list. There, one I was trying to consider with Cam Akers was the other one from the Achilles that nobody said anybody could recover from the fact that they actually wanted to trade him, but they couldn't find anybody. They told him to go home, and he came back. But it still went with Barkley because – especially early in the season. He was the guy that looked like the number one overall pick from the previous years. And I was just happy to see it, James, because nothing really sucks worse than seeing marquee dudes suffer serious injuries. And it happened with Barkley two straight years. But he came back, and he came back in a big way. And I think he's still got enough left in a tank for an offense that I think is ascending and with a really good head coach behind it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. You know who was the answer after a month was James Robinson, 
coming off that Achilles in Jacksonville, hit the ground running, like what the heck? And then all of a sudden, Travis Etienne, the trade, and then the Jets don't even use him. But James Robinson was the answer a month into the year. Um, I'm in between a pair of quarterbacks. I want to say Geno Smith, but the reality is we t- we've had some com- comeback conversation. Do you not have to have been somewhere to come back to it? Geno Smith was never a fantasy asset. Jared Goff was before. Um, he only had 19 touchdown passes last year. He got to 29 in the fantasy season through 17 weeks this uh, this season. So I've got to go with Jared Goff. Geno Smith, um, boy, I'd love to say Geno Smith, but he was never a fantasy asset before. Jared Goff was a fantasy asset before. Yeah. Yeah, I can get behind either of those guys being right. I mean, they're certainly worth recognizing here for sure. Let's talk a waiver wire pickup. And Jarek McKinnon, a guy that uh, I know we talked about on the show here, the podcast. I mean, I know you were drafting. You talked me into drafting him. Uh, but James, I mean, goodness, in PPR leagues, whatever we thought might happen. And a lot of it had to do with in- receivers dropping like flies, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw so many injuries there in Kansas City, and it sort of forced the situation. That and Isaiah Pacheco taking over but not being real pass down back and Edward Hilaire going on. Whatever it was, it worked because five straight weeks of the year of PPR points, uh, the end of the season's weeks 13 through 17, and, and that included two days over 30 points, 22.6 PPR points in the fantasy championship, eight touchdowns in that span. Jarek McKinnon, you is thirty years old, so it's probably a, a you know just this one little run here. I'm not knowing what, what it's going to look like in 2023, but in most cases, James, he was scooped off the waiver wire, and maybe in places where in like a lot of leagues, I drafted him, and I didn't even have the ability to hold on to him with injuries and buys. So he might have been a mid season waiver wire pick, a, a late season waiver wire pick. Wherever you got him, he ended up with him. You were in good shape for the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, he was great down the playoff stretch run last year. Got back into the mix once Edward Solaire fell to the wayside, and it's been really good since. Um, there's a couple guys I think that could be in the mix, but I'm just going to throw my answer as Zay Jones. It's uh, pat myself on the back segment here. Uh, a player I was drafting, so he wasn't a waiver wire pickup for me, but he was certainly undrafted in a lot of leagues I wasn't a part of. Dude, 115 targets, 78 catches through week 17. Uh, but listen to this stretch run right here. This is PPR points. This is uh, not half point, but whatever. How about just these numbers? Uh, starting in week 12, 11 for 145. Week 14, 8 for 77. Week 15, 6 for a buck oh nine. Oh, he had three touchdowns in that week and a touchdown the week before. Zay Jones was massive at the uh, end of the year, and so he's got to get my nod here. But Jarek McKinnon, a very worthy candidate as well. No doubt about it. Rookie of the year. I'm going Kenneth Walker. He's the odds-on maker here. But, James, this is the one I struggled the most on because there's a lot of players that no no real rookie did it for the entirety of the season. But Walker, once he did finally get the chance, and especially after Rashad Penny's injury, is a big reason the Seattle Seahawks uh, had such a great stretch run of the season that they did. He is the rookie of the year. Uh, there were a couple receivers that I uh, put nominations on, but frankly, there wasn't one receiver that, quite frankly, outshines him. And the only person that has a chance to be the rookie of the year besides Kenneth Walker is Brees Hall. He's the rookie of the year. He just didn't get a chance to finish it. But, dude, he looked the part, the real deal. We'll be interested to see where he goes and drafts next year based on you know the injury prognos- uh, prognosis. Yeah, uh, well said there. Breakout player of the year, who you got? Did Amon Ross St. Brown break out last year? Uh, probably so. Probably so. 
then I'm going Trevor Lawrence, who had a horrible situation a year ago. Um, Trevor Lawrence proved that he is, you know, sunshine, tank for Trevor, all of that that he was supposed to be when he got a decent coach in his uh, in his spot. He breaks out even more next year. He'll probably be in my top six QB rankings. Yeah, I went with Jalen Hurts. I mean, I realized that he was sort of hyped up there as a season, but it was a make or break year for him. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. And man, did he make it. Uh, MVP candidate. The injury probably hurt it. Uh, a little bit in the NFL, but here's a guy, James, that I, it's not just the fantasy stats that I'm enamored by, but just watching him as a leader, what he puts into the team under pressure, all of it. I think he's the real deal. And I think he is definitely the answer the Eagles were looking for. He's my breakout player in fantasy this year, and I expect many years ahead. So any final thoughts uh, before we call it quits on the podcast here until spring of 2023? We don't ever call it quits. I'm going to be doing best balls and playoff drafts. I didn't say we were calling it quits. I said the (laughs) podcast is going to go into off-season mode. I don't believe in final thoughts, Dan. It's always a a thing in process. No, I don't really have anything further than what we've said today. It's been fun. We thank all of you for listening. Hope you had a great fantasy season. Don't forget, if you're wrapping up the season now, my number one word of wisdom is to write it down. Whether it's rule changes, your first 2023 rankings, any of it, uh, get it while it's fresh and take a little break. Enjoy other things in your life for a little bit and definitely enjoy all like the golf betting. Yeah. Something else to stress you out. But either way, we appreciate you for listening. Uh, we will be continuing on the Sirius XM show on Saturdays and Sundays all through January. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter. He's at James Adams 94. I'm at Dan Claskins, insiderfootball.com for all your football tools. And if you're getting ready for baseball season, check out our sister site, insiderbaseball.com too. For James Adams, I'm Dan Claskins. We'll catch you next time right here on the Fantastics Insider Football Podcast.